Wonderful. You may be seated. Uh, we finished our, our series on, on This Is Us, and uh, Pastor David, uh, I asked to preach last week for me on a little bit of that youth, uh, elementary student, parent relationship dynamic that we have at Cornerstone. And uh, I, I heard uh, good parts of his sermon yesterday, uh, last Sunday, live uh, through the internet as I was preparing to go to the pulpit in the church I was in. And uh, uh, hopefully that was very informative for you to understand the relationship between your, your church ministry and the home and how we view our supporting role uh, to the parents uh, in making disciples of your uh Really, your, your little, little ones, your, your students, all the way up through your, your young adults. And uh, uh, it inspired me so much. So, so I, I've signed up, just like many of the parents, even though I don't have children now in the, in the youth ministry of the elementary, I've signed up as well. I get the Parent Connect every day. So for those of you that are getting a text every day, and it says, Today, parents, you know, read this verse with your kids. Hey, parents, today... While you're having dinner, say this to your children and let's have a, a, a faith talk uh, at the kitchen table uh, tonight for, for, for dinner. Uh, and I'm just, I'm inspired by that. I'm encouraged by that. Uh, and I'm thinking back to when I had little kids sitting at the table, how cool it would have been to have, be able to open my phone as a father and say, not have to plan something, but just open my phone and it says, hey, Talk about this tonight with your kids. Say this sentence or read this verse. This reinforces what they heard on Sunday morning, what they'll hear in the Wednesday night program, and it just makes a continuous, constant stream of thought about spiritual things in their hearts and minds so that we're taking them on this journey to know Jesus Christ and be his disciple. And I know David spoke from the Old Testament last week, from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is one of the most foundational uh, the Shema, the, 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 the Hebrews call it one of the most foundational teaching places in all of the Bible. The Lord our God is one God. And then it goes into teach your children when you rise up, when you lie down, all of these things. I also want to speak on parenting this morning. We go back and for those of you who've been down the road with, with me and with Cornerstone many miles, some of this will be very familiar to you. For those of you who have not been with us long, I want to give you a parenting lesson, also from an Old Testament passage. Now remember many weeks ago I spoke about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the reasons why we start disciples in the New Testament and the pitfalls and dangers you can fall into in the Old Testament. And while much of the Old Testament uh, ceremonial dietary laws have passed away. Therefore, another era, another place in time. The moral law of the Old Testament and many of the teachings of the Old Testament are still in play for us this morning. You learn a lot about God in the Old Testament. You learn how He deals with people. You learn about His holiness and His righteousness. And there's so much value to be learned that you don't want to neglect your Old Testament either. Let me begin this morning by, by letting you know, just as a statement of fact, that Moses wrote at least three songs. You may not know this about Moses. He's a prolific writer. Obviously, Moses wrote, it's called the Pentateuch, the five books of the beginning of the Old Testament. Sometimes we call it the law. It's 
not really all the law, it's just kind of a generic term we use for it, but it talks about the origins of man in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the books that were written by Moses and uh, his own handwriting on those manuscripts. Those books were placed into the Ark of the Covenant. They had all of that back, way, way back in the book of, of Exodus. Uh, is where you hear about the beginnings of these things. But Moses was such a prolific writer, not only wrote books of the Bible inspired by God to do so, but he also wrote several songs. Uh, and I would encourage you, if you have some gift like this, you need to be using it. <clears throat> some of you who are journalism majors that I'm seeing in the room this morning, and some of you who are great with words and very expressive, and some of you English majors and teachers in the room. Listen, if you have gifts to express yourself in a beautiful way that God's given you, and you have talents to write songs and write what do it, please. Please follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and express those beautiful thoughts about God and about life and put ink to paper or uh, uh, ones and zeros or whatever, you know what I'm saying, however we do it now. Please commit that stuff to an electronic or written form and use your gifts to bless other people. Moses was a prolific writer, great with, I mean, let's just face it, Moses is one of the most educated people in the Old Testament. He went to uh, uh, the U of H down in Egypt. He went to the University of Hierapolis, which is where the Pharaoh's kids got Harvard education, okay? He's one of the most educated people in all the Old Testament, and you can tell. He's a prolific writer with great historic, he wrote history books, (laughs) he wrote law books, and he wrote songs. Three of those beautiful songs are recorded in the Scripture and if you don't have a Bible reading plan going right now, I'll give you the references. And you can read in your Bible this week three of the songs that Moses wrote. Uh, the, the first recorded song that Moses wrote is in Exodus chapter number 15. Now, you Bible students know that Exodus 15 is the crossing of the Red Sea right there. We're at that part of history. And so when the children of Israel... Uh, landed on the other side of the Red Sea running for their lives. <laughs> Boom! Collapsed on the shore and here comes Pharaoh's army and kaboom! The tsunami of water swallowed Pharaoh's army on the banks of the shore. They sat down and wrote a song and they sang it and, and had a concert right there of deliverance on the shores of the Red Sea. It's recorded in Exodus 15. It sounds like this, Exodus 15, 1. Let me just read you two verses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. You're singing about God this morning and about your redemption, and I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, He's become our song. He is our strength, and He is our song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. He is my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Isn't that beautiful? Boy, you just read that whole thing, and it's very, very powerful. And you realize they're standing there watching the bodies float up of the, of the Egyptian soldiers and the horses swim into shore. I mean, they've just been delivered from certain death by the hand of Almighty God. And they sang this beautiful song. Another song of Moses, a second. It's not recorded over there. It's recorded in the Psalms. 
So in the Psalms is a collection of songs. It's the hymn book of the Old Testament, if you would. The song book, the praise and worship book of the Old Testament. Psalms 90 is a song of Moses. Let me read you two verses. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever You had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Read the psalm. It's powerful. You know what Moses is? Moses is the one that wrote about the creation in Genesis. You know what he said? Before there was a Genesis, there was a God. It was God that stepped out onto nothing and said, let there be light, let there be an earth. Let... It was God that before you brought forth the earth, you were God. One day you're going to wrap it all up, you'll still be God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's a powerful psalm. Read it. You'll be, you'll be enriched. Some strong, powerful language in there. The third song of Moses is recorded in Deuteronomy 31 and 32 in a running sequential chapters there. You'll read the events and the song. This is a, almost, a, I'm going to say a funeral song, but it's a, it's a wrap-up. It's a grand finale. How about that? Moses and the children of Israel are encamped on the Jordan side, east of the Jordan River. The promised land lies just in, they're looking at it right now. They're looking at it. There's Jericho, there's Gilgal, there's the mountains. On the other side is Jerusalem. They're seeing the promised land for the first time. Mount Nebo rises up behind us where Moses will be buried. On the, on, on the other side, there is the promised land. Here are the children of Israel. And Moses brings Joshua out and ordains him in front of all the people. Says, this is your new leader. Follow him just as you've followed me. God's hand is on him. He is the right man for the job. He will lead you to victory in the conquest of the promised land of Canaan, which you're growing into. Moses wrote down all the law, gave it to them. And Moses then wrote a song before he died. It's recorded, Deuteronomy 31 and 32. And in the song that Moses recorded, he he, he wrote, he made all the children of Israel memorize the song. And he said, I want you to sing this song. I'm not going into the promised land, but when you go, when you go live out the rest of your life, and if you want you to sing this song, and you remember all that I taught you and all that God has showed you as we came through the wilderness together like one big church family, okay? Just remember what God has done. And the disciple maker hands the baton to his disciple. That's what's happening. And Joshua takes the baton, and in just a few days, they'll bury Moses, and off they'll go across the River Jordan to the promised land that God has given them. This is a little snippet of the song that Moses wrote, Deuteronomy 32, verse 9. For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the place of His inheritance. He found him in a desert land, And in a waste land, a howling wilderness, he encircled him. God encircled his people. God instructed him. God kept him as the apple of his eye. You ever wonder where we get that English idiom? The apple is the apple of my eye. Comes right here out of Deuteronomy, out of the song of Moses. He will keep his people as the apple of his eye. You know what that means. 
It means dearly beloved, someone very special to me. Keep him as the apple of his eye. Verse 11, as an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, spreading out its wings and taking them up and carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone did lead Israel, him. And there was no foreign God with him. In the Song of Moses, a beautiful picture is painted with words that shows how God loved His children and how God, what God did for I encircled them in the wilderness like an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young and cares for its eaglets. That's the way I loved my people. That's the way I dealt with the children of Israel. Like an eagle taking the babies and teaching them how to fly. It's a beautiful word picture and I want to use it as a bit of a parenting lesson this morning. When you learn how the eagle teaches the little eaglets to fly, you'll understand a little bit about how God deals with us as with His children And at the end of the message, you'll also have a quite healthy parenting model uh, to follow and apply in your family. The first thing you need to know is when the eagles build their nest, they go high up into the mountains, not down on the plains. They like high places, tall, tall trees and high mountains and cliffs, and you'll find them typically at elevation, building their, their nest, some lofty high place where they can see the world. The eagle's nest is a, is a huge thing. That's a one, two, three. Nine feet in diameter is the average size of an eagle. That's one, two, three. It's that big. The eagle's nest is. It's a big bird. It's a big, that's a big house they, they're going to build. The largest nest they found is, is one, two, three, four, five, six. Eighteen feet. Silver thing to silver thing. That's the whole diameter of this area right here. This is the largest eagle's nest that they've discovered uh, so far. Nine, uh, 18 feet in diameter. That particular nest weighed 6,000 pounds. If that gives you any indication of what was built uh, for, for the eagle. That's just some good builders, those parents. Some good builders. The eagle's... They'll gather branches and sticks. I've seen some massive nests when I looked at the pictures woven with little twigs. But then I saw some nests where they had taken branches like, I mean, serious branches. You know what I'm saying? And pulled them all the way up to that nest and, 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 and bent them somehow into circles. Things almost the size of your wrist in diameter. And they wove that nest together weighing hundreds and, and hundreds of pounds and I, I, I'm looking at those nests, and when you, when you Google the pictures, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, and you say, how long did that take with no thumbs to build a nest like that? You know what I'm saying? And no skill saw and no, no, lit, no hydraulic lift. And, uh, but, but just with care and diligence and love, building that, that place that would be home for, for those little babies. When they build the nest, there's two distinct uh, in the more pictures you, you look at, you'll see there's an inner nest and an outer nest. In other words, there's a place in the middle, be a, a, a real clear circle right here, and it looks soft and warm. Uh, it's like you're getting in a sleeping bag. And then on the outside of the nest, it'll either be this wide. I've seen some that are this wide. And there's a rim all the way around the nest, uh, inner nest, outer nest, uh, 
inside the bed, sleeping bag, uh, runway, helipad, landing strip. You, you know what I'm saying? And this out here, they, you see where they're, it's real branchy and sticks and you can see where they come and they can grab hold with their talons and, and lock on and be secure. But in here is a whole different world inside the, the inner uh, part of the nest where, and it's the inner part, of course, where, where it's all gonna begin to happen as the eagle gets the nest all prepared. Uh, the, the, the mother eagle will get inside the inner nest and start lining those rough sticks with straw, grass, uh, leaves, and, and then the, she'll go hunting and she'll catch a fox and take it up there and start pulling the fur off of the fox and line the nest and go catch a rabbit, take it up there and pull the fur off and line it sounds like a nice, getting in a nice fur coat. I mean, it's soft, it, it, it's silky smooth, and she just packs that in all the way around. There's, it's it just as soft as it can be. There's not a thorn, there's not a thistle, there's not a, a grass burr. And they've even seen, uh, they've got, if you go online, you can even see cameras where they found eagle's nests and they'll mount a camera so they can watch the whole thing happen, the whole life cycle happen. And they've even seen cases where the mother eagle will pull the down, not the, not the big coarse feathers, but the real soft under feathers, like a, like a duck down jacket or a goose down jacket. She'll pull some of the down from her very own breast and she'll begin to line the nest so that when the babies are born, it's just, you're just, just setting that little egg and sitting on that little egg in just a, just a perfect little environment. The, the mother eagle only lays one or two eggs every year. They're, they're not prolific reproducers. And she'll lay the one or two eggs and, of course, sit there and protect and keep them warm and turn them and care for them. She'll lay the one or two eggs and before long, the little eaglets will appear. When they're hatched, they have a very simple life in the early days. Much, you, you guys who have reared children understand this. Those little baby eaglets do basically two things. They sleep. And when they wake up, they open their beak and here comes the mama with some, some food, pre-digested food that they can handle and she'll give them the food. They basically just sleep and eat. And there's a third thing they do, but we don't talk about that. But basically just sleep and eat. And that's all the little baby birds do at, at, at this point. And being in that nest it, it is so warm and nice. But being bound to the nest is not the purpose for which God made an eagle to fulfill. You understand what I'm saying? It's not the purpose of an eagle to live in a nest all its life. You, you, you've seen the majestic eagles, and you know you rarely see them posing like this. You see them posing like this, out over a lake with a trout in their talons or something like that. An eagle's not made to live out its existence in the warmth of a nest. So the mother eagle will take the little eaglet, and she'll push him out onto the runway, or her out onto the runway. Get him out of the sleeping bag for a little bit, and let's get him out here on the helipad, where you can see the world out there, and see how high up you are, and see, see the grand scheme of what God created. And she'll, she'll get him out there, and she'll stretch out her wings, and their little eagle eyes get big, and like, ooh, Mom, you've got some big wings. Yeah, yeah, Mama does. And, and Mom, I don't know if you've ever... I don't know if you've ever seen this or if you've, maybe you're a duck hunter or something or a turkey hunter. And uh, those wings, man, when they go, it, it, there's some serious wind moves. Uh, if you're a duck hunter, you know 
when they're a good ways off, you can hear the wind. That's sometimes you know they're about to land. You can hear the wind coming off the wings of those birds. They're so powerful. And that big eagle stretches out her, her, her wings, her arms, her wings, you understand what I'm saying? And she'll move the air. And that little eagle's like, woo, wow, mama's strong. I mean, she can, she can really, uh, the leaves on the trees are shaking and the nest is blowing and mom's powerful. Mom's showing her I've got some wings and you've got some wings. I'm going to show you how to use your wings so that you, you can fly. Mom's very vigilant, so she's always looking around, making sure everything's safe. And as soon as the parents look away for a few minutes, the little baby eagles hop right back in. They get off that rough ledge and they hop right back into the sleeping bag and they get nestled up in all of that down and all of that, all of that warmth of the inner nest. And that happens a few times, but the eagles always jump back into the nest. They never want to get out there on the edge where it's rough and dangerous. They always get back into the warmth and the shelter. Moses wrote this into his song before he died. Deuteronomy 32, as an eagle stirs up her nest, so the Lord did his people. You weren't made to stay in the nest. So the Lord has a way of leading our lives and guiding us to the next thing and to the purpose He has for us. Sometimes very gently, I encircled them in the wilderness and protected them. But sometimes God can't get us moving, so it looks a little differently. Does that make sense? And so uh, the mama eagle will get in, back into the nest with the babies. And the mama eagle with her powerful talons and her strong wings, she'll begin to sweep with her wings, the nest. Now, she's not sweeping the babies out, but she'll push them over here and she'll get that fur and throw out the rabbit fur. And she'll move the babies over here and she'll get her wing and she'll sweep out the, the fox fur. And she'll start sweeping the nest and removing the comfort so that now the sticks and the little thorns that they've woven into the nest are beginning to protrude up. The little baby eagle doesn't have lots of thick feathers on its body yet. So the baby gets back in the nest and now the little sticks are beginning to poke the baby. Does that make sense? Baby's getting a, hey, what are you doing? Uh, Jack came home first time from college. We'd already rearranged his bedroom. <laughs> hey, what's happening here? You don't live here anymore. I mean, uh, uh, just we're rearranging a little bit. That's all, son. You, you see, you see, the mom's now saying, "I'm going to make the environment a little different, a little less comfortable than it was." And the sticks begin to poke, poke the baby, and the baby's a little uncomfortable. And and the mom will take the baby and push him back up here on, on the runway, and say, "See the world? That's your destiny. That's your future. This is where we're going with life." God didn't create you for this. God created you for that. But I'll just, just throw this out there. It's a parenting lesson, but let me give you a discipleship shout out. God didn't make you to be enclosed off from everyone in the world in your little bubble. God made you social creatures to get out there and know people and mix with people and have relationships with people and spread the kingdom of God to other people. That's what God made us for. And so she'll take the little baby bird finally and she'll scoop one of those baby birds up onto her wing and onto her back and up she'll go. 
She'll launch off the runway up into the sky and our baby is gripping on with his little talons, the, the, the wet feathers of its mother. And, and up and up and up and up she goes. And I don't know if a bird can wet its pants, but that's what I would do if I was a baby eagle about that point. And up and up and up they go. And the baby's like, oh my goodness, what is happening to my world? This is not what I signed up for when I came into this world. And the mama's like, we're going we're gonna to teach you how to fly, little one. And so she goes way up and all of a sudden she pulls a 2G turn, tips her wing and banks real hard and the baby flies off in the opposite direction. And down the baby goes, tumbling, screaming, crying, flopping, flapping. Ah, mom, you're suicidal. What's happening? Ah! But the mother can fly faster than the baby can fall. And like a speeding bullet, she can fold her wings and right down underneath the baby. They're expert hunters, you already know that. She has no problem catching her little one. And so she scoops right under the little one and catches the baby and takes the baby right up again. Now if you're the second eaglet, you're hiding somewhere right now. You're you're like, I'm under the fur, is there anything left? I'm not doing that. And uh, that's what she does. And she'll take the baby up and up and up again. And you're thinking, how cruel nature is. No, this is God programmed, call it instinct, into the animal kingdom. And she's teaching her baby to fly. That's repeated over and over and over again until the baby eagle's wings get so strong and the baby begins to get control. She dumps the baby again. On another day, lesson 33, boom, dump the baby. The baby starts to fall and then finds its wings. And all of a sudden, the little eagle whistles to its brother. I got it. The little baby blows a kiss to its mother and said, Now, I understand. Parent, you want some fulfillment in your life? Wait till your 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23-year-old kid calls home and says, Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad, for teaching me how to work. Thank you for discipling me. Thank you for showing me how to pray. Thank you for showing me Jesus Christ. Thank you for taking me to church. Thank you for making me go to college. Thank you for helping me do my multiplication tables. Thank you for teaching me and making me do my homework. You want to know what reward is? There it is, right there. It's a thrill like you've never known before. Little baby eagle blows a kiss to mom and said, I got it now. I figure I know exactly. You weren't trying to terrorize me. You're not a terrorist. Young people, you may think your parents are just trying to ruin your life. They're not. I hope you're not. They're trying to get you ready to fly. That's what's happening. Let me teach you some quick, uh, very quick parenting lessons in this next 10 minutes. It's a beautiful picture. As, 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 like the eagle stirs her nests and bears her babies upon her. So the Lord did with His people. Big parenting lesson number one, love your children. And I know I'm speaking to people who love their children, not implying you don't. But the greatest lesson is just love your children. Your children have an emotional tank, if you would. And love is the fuel that fills the tank of your child and helps them go. Helps them live. Helps them function properly in life. They have an emotional tank. It must be filled with love. 
And just like your car tank runs dry, their emotional tank can run dry. And you need to keep it constantly filled with love. I'll give you a few suggestions that will help you love your children the way that God wants you to love their children and something that will keep the tank full. You need to love your children with an unconditional love. An unconditional love. I think it goes without saying, but I still feel compelled to say it. Unconditional love is accepting and affirming your children regardless of who they are. Regardless of how smart they are, regardless of how uh, awkward they'll be at some phases, regardless of how they look, regardless of anything, regardless of what they do, they're not always going to do things that please you. Love them with an unconditional love. As children develop, you already know they battle lots of problems with self-esteem. They'll battle many issues with inferiority. They'll compare themselves with other peers and, and feel like they don't uh, measure up to, to their peers. And it's very important that children not be damaged concerning their appearance, uh, uh, whether it's having to get braces or wear glasses or I'm too skinny or I'm too chunky or I'm tall and awkward or I'm short. and, and don't me- Just a million things that we deal with as we develop. Every adult in this room can recall embarrassing moments from childhood. Can't you? Just, just admit it, can't you? That's how it sticks with you. That at 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of age, you still have vivid memories of this childhood awkwardness and how someone say, scarred you for life. <laughs> because you still remember it, or impress something on you that you still carry today as an adult. So uh, another area is intelligence. Obviously, no, no child wants to feel like uh, they're, they're dumb. And it's very important that their intelligence not be assaulted. Listen, if, if they're not where they need to be, you're the parent. Help them. Help them. Help them get where they need to be. Some parents make a, a, a tragic mistake. Of saying to their children, I love you if you do this, this, this. Some parents make a tragic mistake. Say, I love you when you act like this, this, this. But unconditional love says, I love you no matter how you look. I love you no matter what your abilities are. I love you no matter what limitations you may have. I love you no matter what you do. I may not always like what you do, but I will love you unconditionally forever. You are my child. That's what boys and girls, that's what teenagers, and sometimes even that's what adults need to hear from their parents Not only do our children need unconditional love, but they need expressive love. Now, I come from a family that didn't express love. My grandfather was so stoic, you know, saying so reserved. I can hardly remember conversations of kindness and and words of that. I don't know if I ever in my life heard a word of affirmation from my grandfather, now that I think about it. It doesn't mean he's a bad person. It means he... He loved me. He didn't express it. Is that fair? He loved me. He didn't express it. And many of you who grew up with that World War II generation of parents and grandparents, okay? They weren't the most expressive generation about their feelings, okay? Can we all agree? They didn't didn't gush lots of words of affirmation and expressions of kindness and unconditional love. 
So what I'm saying this morning is your children need expressive love. Uh, I've read several surveys where they ask children, do you feel like your parents love you? You'd be shocked at how many kids don't think their parents love them. The reason they don't think their parents love them, when actually their parents probably do love them, it's because the parents have never expressed their love for them. Does that make sense? I'm not asking whether your kids are loved. Do they feel loved? One of the ways they will feel loved is if we express our love. Um, I'll give you a help this morning. Uh, there's five ways we express love. I want to put this link up for you. It's also in version this morning. If you have the electronic notes on version, you can find the links there. Gary Chapman literally wrote the book on expressing your love. And uh, there's a book for husbands and wives in the marriage, a book for teenagers, and a book for children on the five love languages, okay? Let me take you on a two-minute synopsis of how humans express their love. You ready? Want to go really quick? Physical touch. Physical touch. Now, we're all wired differently, and some of us don't feel loved unless we're hugged. Does that make sense? Unless we're interacted with in a physical way. Now, this is a delicate subject today because the world's gone crazy, and, and I understand uh, in these days of sexual abuse that this is a very sensitive subject so I'll just say for the record it's never appropriate to touch a child inappropriately okay so we all understand there is a there's a there's a, a baseline there that needs to just uh, something that needs to be said but I'll give you the other side of that coin your children need to be touched by you they need to have physical contact with their parents Many studies have been done and research done that says babies that are hugged and kissed and held and cuddled and, 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 and swaddled and nurtured up close, those babies develop healthier emotional lives than children that are not touched. Okay? So your, your, your children need to be touched. They need physical contact with mom. And hugs are important. Kisses are very important. Listen, I, I, I think a little boys... Uh, little boys like to do chin-ups on dad's arm. Little, little boys and girls like to cling to parents' legs so they can walk like Frankenstein with little kids on them. And uh, little, little boys want to get on the floor and wrestle with mom and dad. I raised boys. I didn't raise girls. I'm going to tell you, boys are, want to smash into something at all times. Okay? They want physical collision contact with somebody continually. And they want to, they want, my boys had, if you had a cardboard box, a plastic tub, anything available, they were sliding, bobsledding down the stairs. Okay? And they'd come crash into the box. They loved to crash into things. They loved to wrestle with dad and the, fl- that's healthy. That helps develop your, just take your little girl and twirl her round and round and round and throw her in the air and, your daughter needs that. They need, to, they need that physical interaction with their parents. Have you ever read about Jesus in the New Testament? How he would come into the city and the little kids would just climb him like a jungle gym and he'd, he'd twirl them around and wrestle with them. And, and can you see the disciples saying, oh, this is so undignified. Kids, run away and, and, and leave pious Jesus to sit here and contemplate the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is like, what the heck are you talking about? 
Forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Get over here, kids, and let's, let's climb the tree together. I mean, he, he's interacting with them. He puts the little boy on his knees and says, Except you become like a little one, like this little guy right here, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, children were a regular part of his ministry, and the Bible says, and he blessed them. Now, I don't know if you've ever traveled to the east, but bless them doesn't mean th- this. Bless them in the Eastern context means to put your hand upon them. That's the way they do it. I go preach in India. The kids will line up after the church and the moms will come and say, Would you bless my baby? They want you to put your hand on their kid, on their head, typically, and pray. That's Jesus going through the town, praying for the kids and loving them. And Yeah, that physical context healthy. Words of affirmation is another way. We express love. Some of you, it's one of the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament. Edification, encouragement, same thing. So when you read this in the New Testament where it says edify or, or encourage, some of you are especially gifted in this by the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm saying you need to use that gift. Write it down, express it if you've got this gift. Words of encouragement are very, very powerful. The wisest man, Solomon, wrote these words, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's very wise. He said words can make a difference in someone's life. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. A fool once said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Well, one of those is a fool and one of them is telling the truth. And I want you to know the the latter is the lie. Because words do hurt us. Words can cut us deeply. And you should, you should be encouraged today that you hold in your hand the Holy Bible. It is a book filled with words of encouragement. It is a book filled with words of affirmation. It is a book that just oozes love, encouragement, edification, blessings upon our lives. So if you can use words, sometimes you have a kid that's wired for words. If you know that, then lay them on them. Just work, just give your kid what they need in words of affirmation. Quality time is another. And in our country, we've had a big debate about quantity of time versus quality of time. And I don't want to rehash that. You say, which is better? The answer is D, all of the above. Both. Sometimes they need a whole day with you. Sometimes they need just a few quality moments with you. But they need time with you. I read uh, this past week a parenting article that said the average father spends less than seven minutes a day communicating with his child. The average father in America spends less than seven minutes a day having an authentic conversation. Clean up your room! That's not an authentic conversation. That's what I'm saying. An authentic exchange. You want to wonder why we're sending you parent uh, 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 conversation starters for the kitchen table? This is why. It, uh, uh, David talked to you about the, get, setting the bar a little higher last week than the low standards that have been set in our culture. Listen, if you can do more than seven minutes a day, you're a better parent than many, okay? So, so go for eight this week, okay? Go for ten next week. Go for twenty uh, next week and, and just keep raising the bar. Your children need to be at meals with you. They need to spend time with you. They need park time. They need vacation time. They need uh, uh, lake time. They, they need rock throwing time. They need uh, uh, mud pie. They need Nerf gun war time. They need that. Give them some time. On the spiritual side, they need some faith talks. Not sermons. Sermons are a big no-no, parents, by the way. Sermons are a big no-no. Okay? 
If you open the family Bible on the counter and say, we are gathered here, you've lost them. Trust me. Sermons are a big no-no. Faith talks are a big yes, okay? Hey, uh, Pastor David or Miss uh, McAdoo just sent me a little something. I, I see that you're memorizing this verse. So let's, let's say it together. Do you know what that means? You, you said it awesome. Do you know what it means? Let's talk about what it means, okay? Listen, that five-minute faith talk is everything to your child. Gifts. One of the love languages is receiving gifts. Is that self-explanatory? I mean, if you're a person who's wired for gifts, then it's when you get a gift that says everything about how someone loves you. You may have a kid wired for gifts. You don't have to spend a fortune. Little things mean a lot. Just like getting stuff. Or maybe you're a person who likes giving stuff. Uh, Give gifts. Not as a substitute for your time, by the way. Not as a substitute for being disengaged. But as a way to express your love. The fifth one is acts of service. Helping. Do, doing something for them in a servant-spirited way. It means helping your son get the chain back on his bicycle. It means helping your daughter find the right shoes to go with her outfit. It, it just means doing some service, providing some service of love for your child. Did you see how those eagles so diligently built the nest? And how they made sure it was comfortable when it needed to be comfortable. And and how they made it uncomfortable when it needed to be uncomfortable. And how they made it secure and safe. And and how that eagle taught, but didn't scar for life. And didn't damage or injure, but loved and cared. So, So love your children. That's the first big lesson. The second one is lead your children. Your children need leadership. That's why God gave parents to children. Or children to parents. However you want to say it. That's why God made the family the way He made the family. Because children need parents to lead them. The greatest thing that any parent can do is to lead them. Not just to be healthy and and smart and intelligent and socially uh, interactive. But lead them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you you know when you started texting that night, I just led Sophie to Christ. I mean, that's a moment. That's a life moment when you realize that all of your faith talks have just culminated with the Holy Spirit convicting your child that they're a sinner and saving grace is about to be entering into... It's it's a moment, man. Lead them to faith. Let me just say this for the record. When you're reading in the book of Acts, you'll read something like this. So let me show you. Acts 16, verse 31, if you guys have this verse. And they said... Paul, Silas, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and all your household. Now let me just tell you what's happening in this verse. Sometimes you're going to read this and say, well, I got saved, so my whole family saved. That's not, that's not what it's saying. Yet you have to read the whole context. It doesn't mean that salvation is inherited. No, you inherit the color of your eyes and the shape of your ears and the way you walk from your parents. Does that make sense? You don't inherit eternal life from your parents. Your children come into God's family the same way that they came into your biologic family. They come into the family of God by means of a birth. We call it the second birth, a spiritual birth. Let me read you the next two verses and you'll see it. 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him, the man, 
and to all the people in his house. They all heard the word of God. They heard God's story. They heard Paul and Silas's story about how they got saved. And he, and they, and they took them at the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Paul and Silas had just been beaten up. And he, the Philippian jailer, was baptized at once, he and all his family. They all heard the word. They all got saved. And when they got saved, they said, Paul, we're sorry they beat you up. Let us, let us give you some health care here for a minute. And when they had bandaged Paul up, Paul said, okay, since you got saved, you need to be baptized. That's the next step. You notice they didn't wait like three years for this uh, because they're of age here. Baptized the whole family that night. And a whole family came to know Jesus Christ and salvation. That's such a beautiful thing that you hear and respond to the message. Now, what I'm saying this morning is together bring them into the faith and we will help you disciple them to maturity. Don't expect them to get all they need to know about God at Sunday morning on one hour. This is what David talked about last week. You have to know we're partners with you in, in the home. Let me give you my last thought and let me close it this morning. You need to love your kids, okay? You, need, you got to express that, okay? But then there comes a time you lead them and now, three, you release them. You let them go. A lot of parents do good on one and two, but don't do good on three. You've got to let them go. You've got you to release them. You think, ooh, that awful mother eagle, she's so cruel, dumping her kid off and letting them free fall. And it, Some of you pay 50 bucks, go to Six Flags, they have the same experience. She gave it to her kids for free. Let them free fall and to scare them half to death. No, she loved those little eagles and, and she, she wanted them to fly. That's what she's doing. And that was God's way of teaching them to fly because God doesn't expect your children to be children forever. Amen. I am the child of my mom and dad. But now I'm the grown man of offspring of my mom. Does that make sense? Let me say this. I'm the son of my mom and dad, but not the child of my mom and dad. Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Parenting is the process of losing control of your kids. It terrifies us, doesn't it? It's a process of losing control of your little ones. And I want you to know, kids that are listening, you got to understand our side. This is hard for us as parents to let go. Because for all of these years, we've been in control. For all of the, not in a bad way, but all of these years, we've been right there, like this. For all these years, we've been just like this. And as soon as you're about to put your hand in the fire, we're there to rescue. And just about the time you're about to fall, we're there to grab you. And when you're about to dump your bike, we grab the back and set it up right again. For all of these years, we've been just like this. And it kind of conditions us, you know, as parents to constantly rescue our kids so that as they start to get to maturity now, we have trouble letting them go. Parents, you got to let them go. Listen, you've done a good job. Let them go. It's going to be okay. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but they're going to make some decisions. Yeah, they are. Let them go. Yeah, but they're going to see things a little different than I do, and they've got a little different conviction. Yeah, they will. But God's still their God. They have the same Holy Spirit that you do, guiding their life. Let them go. Let them go. They're going to be okay. Did you turn out okay? And you're probably a better parent than your parents were. Let them go. They're going to be 
fine. Sure, they're going to develop their own convictions, but they're going to develop their own convictions from the foundation that you gave them. And trust me, it's going to be so rewarding when your 20-year-old looks at you and says, here's the decision I made, and you know as a mom or dad that's the exact decision you would have made. You're going to say, yes, score one for mom and dad. Let them go. The book of Genesis says, therefore, shall a man leave the nest, <laughs> leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You know what the Bible says? You've got to let them be their own people. Amen? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Beautiful, beautiful word picture from the Word of God this morning on parenting. As you just bow your head for a brief moment and consider your own life, let me say a few things that will guide this season of prayer we're about to enter into for two or three minutes. As you begin to pray this morning, I want to say to the parents, we've all made mistakes. And I know right now you're thinking about some of the mistakes you made as a parent. Some words shouted in anger, or maybe you struck your child in anger, or maybe you were too strict, or maybe you were too lenient. Parents, we've all made some mistakes. Whether you do it at your seat, or whether you do it at this altar on bended knee, why don't you just bow before God this morning and say, Father, forgive me for the mistakes I've made the book of John says if you'll confess he'll forgive wipe the slate give us a reset we'll go from here parents if you made mistakes ask God to forgive you you may need to follow up and ask your children to forgive you but now move on some of you have grown children and they're not making good decisions you have to stop blaming yourself for their adult behavior. You're not in control of their adult behavior. They're in control of their adult behavior. If your kids are grown and they're not doing the right, don't blame yourself. This is not a blame game. They're responsible to God. They know what's right and wrong. You've taught them well. There's some young people here, no doubt, and maybe even some 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds and up. And you're still blaming your parents for their bad behavior or your bad behavior. We have to, we have to let that go this morning. We, we, can't, we can't go any further with that. If you're still blaming mom and dad, I'm going to ask you to bow before God this morning and say, Father, I want to let that go. Instead of blaming mom and dad, I want to forgive mom and dad. And I don't want to deal with this anymore. Let's just move on. You say, well, they've never asked for my forgiveness for what they did to me. You can forgive someone without them asking for your forgiveness. Just let it go. Just say, God, I'm going to put it under the blood of Christ this morning. And I want to love them and not harbor on this. Teenager, 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old. Take responsibility for your own actions this morning. You're your own man. You're your own woman now. Why don't you just say that to God? God, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman now. 
And mom and dad are not responsible for me anymore, God. I'm making my own decisions. God, I pray that you'd help me to make the right decisions. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd guide my life and help me to do the right things. Some of you who are wondering whether you did a good job or not, let me say to you that no parent is a failure who gets their child into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Regardless of where your kids are, what they're doing, do they know Christ? Win. Big win right there. The biggest win. The biggest win of all is if they know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And let me give one final shout out to parents. You can't lead your children to a place you're not going. Where is your life going, Mom and Dad? You can't model soaring with eagles if you're not. You can't model Christian life if you're not a Christian. You can't disciple your kids if you're not a disciple. Where's your life going? We're going to pray. Uh, As soon as I finish praying, you might need to join the church this morning and make that official commitment. You may need to receive Christ as your Savior today. Whatever you need to do, you can pray for a few moments at these altars before we close in song. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Let me pray. Father, praying for everyone here this morning right now. Lord, we have some wonderful, wonderful gifted parents here this morning. God, thank you for Christian moms and dads and Christian grandparents who are investing everything in their kids. God, and I recognize that many, many people here do everything I've preached about this morning with their love, their words, their actions, their kisses, their tender embraces, spending quality time with their children. God, I pray that you'd raise up a generation of parents here, Lord, that that can be role models for a whole other generation. God, we've got babies on the way and babies next door and babies everywhere. And these young parents need some role models. God, I pray they'd find them right here in this room. Lord, they may not be able to find them in their family. Let them find them right here in the house of God. Father, we just accept that responsibility for our own adult lives now and pray that you'd guide us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, whatever decisions need to happen now, Lord, I pray that you'd lead us to those. In Jesus' name we pray.